an opportunity to be in your house this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimonies, Lord, the ministries, all the things that you're doing, Lord. But more than anything, we thank you that you love us so much that you would be willing to die for us, that we could have relationship with you, that we could be forgiven for anything that we've done and everything that we've done, Lord, that we could be secure, that we wouldn't have to have fear or anxiety, Lord God, but that we can have a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord. Regardless of our situations and circumstances this morning, the difficulties that are ahead of us, Lord God, the, the things that we may dealing, be dealing with right now in this moment, Lord, that nobody else knows about. You give us a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord. Have your way this morning over the service. Have your way over me and over my words, Lord. Let them be your words. We thank you for an opportunity to give, Lord. Would you bless the finances, Lord? Bless those who are able to give, Lord, and then pour into their lives, Lord, not only financially, but in every way that you always do, Lord. Let us be able to receive from you. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so if I sound a little uh, nasally or whatever it is, I'm sick, and uh, I'd appreciate your patience, your grace with me this morning. Um, what I want to talk about with you guys, I want to talk about God this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. When we come to church, we should probably hear about God, right? So I've been really sick since Thursday, and it happens to me, you know, once or twice a year I get sick. It's just I'm a little bit used to it. Maybe it's because of the kids. It's just kind of always been that way. But this time it was a little bit different. On Thursday, I was on my lunch break. I went into a Starbucks at 10 o'clock. I came out at 11 o'clock. I went in fine, and when I came out, I was sick as a dog, like, like I'd already been sick for a week. And I'm like, what happened? I called Mary. I said, man, this Starbucks is evil. Something's wrong with it. I was attacked. But it was bad. Uh, and it's been a, a busy week. You know, you heard Gary kind of testify. I think everybody has that, that, uh, that busyness right now. When I talk to anybody in the church, it feels like our kids are everywhere, our lives are everywhere. We're running around, and then we're about to hit the holidays, so it's probably going to get even more difficult for many of us. <clears throat> for us, I look at my, my schedule for next week, and we've got our regular services and Bible study. We've got a funeral for one of our members here that, um, that had a sister pass away, so we're going to be going, leaving work and going to, to take care of that funeral. We have a family that we're going to be meeting with, Mary and I, and, and counseling uh, for some things that they're going through. Then we have some good news. We have one of our, our young people that's entering into the youth that has a, a desire to be baptized, so we're going to be doing a baptism on Friday, amen? Um, but nonetheless, it's busy, and it's difficult, and there's uh, a lot required of us. So while I've been <clears throat> sick, there's been a couple of things that have really struck me. Thoughts that have come into my mind, things that I believe God has kind of uh, implanted into my heart. The first is that I felt aware of the grace that I need and the help that I need when I'm sick. You know, sometimes when we're healthy, we don't think about needing grace. We don't think about needing help. We just do what we do. We do it how we do it, and, and we just keep on trucking. I mean, I even forgot my, my iPad, and you guys know me. I have OCD. I don't even, I'm, I'm, I've got paper. It's like, I don't even know what to do with this. <clears throat> but this week, when I talk about grace, I've apologized to Mary at least five times this week because I'm nowhere near as considerate with her when she's sick as I want her to be with me when I'm sick. When I'm sick, I'm the biggest baby. I'm not afraid to tell you right now. 
I'm a huge baby. When I get down from here, I'm going to act like a child. I'm, baby, I need, I need soup. Take care of me. Last night, she put Vicks on my feet and then put socks on. She's like, I heard the toxins will come out. I was like, put it on my feet. Go ahead. <laughs> the biggest baby, I can't do anything. I can't eat for myself. There's nothing, right? But when she's sick, I expect her to be just as effective as she is all the rest of the time. When she's sick, when she's tired, when she has a headache, I don't have as much grace or patience. I come home, it's like, well, what happened here? What's going on with the kids? You know we have to be in all these places. What do you mean you're sick? What do you mean you're tired? Let's make it happen. So God really put it on my heart. Look, the, the, I've apologized to her, but you know what the real test is? Next time she's sick, how will I behave? And I'm praying. I need help because I know myself. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. So when I say that, I'm aware of the grace that I need. I'm aware of the help that I need when I'm sick. The Bible actually says that he is a very present help in the time of trouble. When you're sick, when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, when you're not operating at what you feel like is 100%, the Bible says that he's very present. He's there. He wants to help. He desires to help. He is always considerate. When your husband's not considerate, he will be considerate. When your wife is impatient and unloving, he'll be patient and loving. He's present. He's not far away. Somebody say amen. amen. So that was the first thing. I felt aware of the grace that I need. I felt aware of the help that I need when I'm sick. The second thing is I felt dependence upon God. Not just dependence, but awareness of that dependence. Many of us know that we need God. Say amen. amen. We say, I'm dependent upon the Lord. I can't do anything without him. I need God. And we make those statements, and then we carry on through our lives. But the reality is, it's not like a front-of-your-mind awareness of that dependence. Like Raymond that, that, uh, <clears throat> that uh, Gary mentioned. Right now, he's gone through surgery. His leg isn't working. He's on crutches. He, uh, he parks in handicap. He's aware of the need of help and dependence upon others. His wife has to help him. His kids have to help him, Right? He can't take things out of the car. He needs to get assistance. And this week that I've been sick, it feels like a week. It's only been four days. Not only am I aware that I'm dependent, or, or not only do I know I'm dependent, but I'm aware of that dependence every moment. The same way somebody who's gone through an accident is aware every moment. When you want to do something and you can't, you're aware. So right now when I'm sick, I've been thinking, God, you know what? I know that I'm dependent upon you, and I need you every minute. I need you right now because I'm tired. I need you because I have to go to this party. I need you because I have to be here. I need you because I'm going to have to be at this funeral next week. I need you because I'm going to be doing a baptism. I don't have time to not be all the things that I need to be, but I need you to help me. <clears throat> what I felt God reminding me is that it's truly all about him all the time. See, right now, because I'm sick, I'm aware, and I'm focused on it, and I'm ready for it, and I'm praying, God, help me, God, help me. And then when I get healthy, what I'll do is I'll say, God, I got it now. And when I fall short, just kick in. I'll do whatever Vaughn can do, and then when I don't make it to where we thought we were going, all right, Lord, I'm calling on you now, kick in for that last 10%. Kick in for that last 20% in this area. And what God told me is, no, 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 no. You don't do what you do and then ask me to kick in. It's always all about me. You're always dependent upon me. Only when you're sick, you're aware of it. But even when you're healthy, you can't do anything without me. And if you try, it'll always fail. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, the Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become God's counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. What God is saying is, when you tithe, you didn't give to him first and expect him to bless you. You didn't have any money before he gave it to you to begin with. When you do anything, it's because he's given you the ability to do that. What he's saying is everything that happens is from him he gave you the ability. It's to him to give him glory and that it's from him. It's, it's of him. It's all about God all the time. And only when I'm sick do I realize how important that is. Nobody is his counselor. Nobody teaches him. Nobody does anything outside of his will. So I thought it would be good this morning, especially being a little bit under the weather, to spend our time talking about God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray one more time. Lord, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for the word. I thank you for the opportunity to give you glory. You say that you're a jealous God and you won't share your glory with any other, Lord. I don't want any of that, Lord, and we're not here to give it to other people, Lord. You deserve all the glory. We know that there's something you desire to do in every single individual who is here this morning, Lord God. There's something that you want them to hear, Lord. Sometimes it's critical and it's a moment where a child is running into the street and if something doesn't happen right now, there's going to be tragedy and there's going to be pain, Lord. Other times you're planting seeds, Lord, that will grow and bear fruit in people's lives in times to come. Whatever it is this morning, I pray that not any of us would leave without hearing your voice without having that soil ready for that seed to be planted, Lord. And if any of us are in that moment where it's critical, Lord God, I pray that we would respond to you, that we wouldn't brush it off, that we wouldn't consider it just something light, but that we would be moved to respond to you this morning, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so the title of the message is The God Who Reaches Out. The God Who Reaches Out. On Wednesday night, I don't remember exactly what the scripture was, but we had one where God was talking about how people get idols, they make them out of gold, they sit them on their, on their table, they cry to them, they pray to them, but that God doesn't do anything because it's a false God and it's an idol and it has no power, has no authority, has no ability. But our God, on the other hand, say our God. Our God, our God on the other hand, he does have power. He does have ability, and he's not a God that stands idly by watching us go through things. He is the God that actually reaches out doesn't wait for us to get to a certain place, have a certain behavior. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he came and died for us. He's reaching out to us before we reach out to him. So number one, the God who reaches out is God reaches out to those who are estranged. You want to know who he reaches out to? Those who are estranged. The definition of estranged, a person who, no who is no longer close or affectionate to someone or alienated. What does it mean to be estranged? If you are no longer close to someone, you're no longer affectionate, right? Or you find yourself alienated. So a lot of times in a relationship, they'll say that the, the husband is estranged from the wife. They've been separated. They're no longer close. They're no longer affectionate. They've been alienated from one another. It says here, a wife or a husband no longer living with their spouse. You know, we've talked about this where God says, we are the bride of Christ. Why do you go to church? The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We come to be in relationship, to be intimate, to grow together, to wrestle with things, to pray with one another. But he also says that you're a bride. So what that means is, how many of you would get married if your husband said, you know what, I'm just not going to come home when I don't feel like coming home? 
or a wife that says, you know what, we're going to be married, but I'm not going to live here with you. Yet we do that with God when he says, you're my bride. What do you mean you don't come home? What do you mean we don't talk every day? What do you mean we're not intimate? What do you mean you don't read my love letters? What kind of marriage is this? You're not a bride, you're a mistress. But back to the God who reaches out. (laughs) He reaches out to those who are estranged, who find themselves in that position of being alienated, separated, and no longer intimate. In Luke chapter 23, verse 37, I think it'll come up for you guys. Luke 23, 37. Someone who's estranged, it says, speaking to Jesus, if you are the king of the Jews, this is during Jesus' crucifixion. He's there and he's on the cross. He's already been scourged and beaten. They say to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Over his cross, over his head, it said, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. So picture the scene. He's already been beaten. He's been led through the streets. He's gone up to Calvary. He's carried his cross. He's on the cross. There's two thieves, one on the right and one on the left. The people who are there, the Jews are saying, if you're God, save yourself. Who would let themselves die? Who would let themselves be pinned to a cross like this? You say you have power. You say you're the son of God. Save yourself. And then you've got the sinner on one side. He takes it a little bit further. Not only if you're God, save yourself, but save us too. What kind of God are you that's going to let yourself die and then let me die here? I don't want to die. Save yourself and save me. With a, lot of, a bunch of witnesses there watching this take place. Then there's another sinner there on the other cross. And it says, but the other one answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? So Jesus is in the middle. One sinner on on the right, one sinner on the left. This one saying, save yourself and save us. This one bypasses Jesus and says, don't you even fear God? What are you doing? Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation as him? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is the God who reaches out to those who are estranged, right? Those who don't have relationship. Those who, instead of being wives, are mistresses. Those who have no intimacy and they've been alienated from God and the life of God and the love of God, right? Jesus reaches out. This man was estranged from God, but he feared God. How do we know that? First thing he said to his friend was, listen, I know that you're crazy. I know that we run the streets. I know that we get in a lot of trouble. I know that we did a lot of things that most people would never do, and we got away with it. And even though you don't have fear for uh, the government, you don't have fear for the police, you don't have fear for your parents, you don't have fear from any of your friends, don't you at least even fear God? That's what he says to his friend. He says, look, I know I'm crazy, and I know I did a bunch of things just like you, but I at least fear God. He had a fear of the Lord. The second thing we know about him is that he took responsibility for his sins. He said, look, this Jesus, he didn't do anything wrong. While we've been running the street, we've run into him. We know him. We've heard stories about him. We saw him heal and touch and do miracles. We saw him even feed us. They were probably two of the 5,000 that got some fish from him, right? They said he didn't do anything wrong, but we did. He said, we're here justly. You know what one of the major problems with me and with you is? We don't take responsibility for our sin. This man was on the cross, and he said, I'm here because I deserve to be here. 
This ain't my mom and dad's fault for raising me wrong, bringing me up in the wrong city. This ain't my friend's fault for getting me loaded for the first time. This ain't anybody else's fault but mine. I'm here because I deserve to be here because of the decisions that I made. That's what he said to his friend. Then we know that he acknowledged Jesus as Lord and King of a heavenly kingdom. He said to him, after he's done talking to his friend, he looks at Jesus, he says, Lord. You know what Lord means? Lord. It means Lord. You know what the Bible says? Is that we need Jesus to be Savior and Lord of our lives. But most of us just want him to be Savior and not Lord. If he's Savior, he forgives you of your sins and you are free to come into the kingdom of God. But if he's not Lord, you get to continue to do whatever you want to do. But if he's Savior who takes your sins and pays for them and he's Lord, he says in his word, those who love me keep my commandments. When he's Lord and he says, do this, you do it because he's Lord. When he says, don't do that, you don't do it because he's Lord, right? The sinner on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Number one, he acknowledged him as Lord. Number two, he said, you are a king of a kingdom that has nothing to do with this world. I know that once you die on this cross, how does he know that? You know what the Bible says in Romans? It says every one of us know that there's a God and know that there's a heaven and a hell and everybody is without excuse. When we act like there's not and we hear about atheists and we know the way that I used to live and you used to live, it says that it's just a front because everybody knows. This man on the cross proves that. He says, not only are you Lord, but you are king of a kingdom. And when you get there, please remember me. I know I'm eternal. I know that I deserve to burn in hell. I'm going to be there for a long time. Would you just remember me? He asked him for help. Remember me. Help me. I know that this isn't the end. I'm on the cross. I've got a few more breaths to take here, but I know this isn't the end. So when you get into your kingdom, will you remember me? You know what Jesus says? Jesus is the God who reaches out. He reaches out and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't care that you've been estranged. I don't care what you've done with your life. I don't care the sins that you committed because it comes down to this, a fear of God, an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and King and asking for help. That's what it takes to be saved. When the, when the church tells you there's more than that, when the church tells you you have to jump through a bunch of hoops, when the church tells you that you have to do X, Y, and Z and get baptized on this day, none of that happened with the sinner on the cross. It was a condition of his heart, and it didn't matter what sins that he had committed. The sins he committed were worthy of death, so they were significant. But I love the fact that our God is a God who reaches out to those who are estranged. I remember what it was like when he reached out to me when I was estranged. And if I would have had to fix even half of the things that I had done before he would reach out to me, then I would still be outside instead of inside. Remember that as we look at those who are outside, not to look at them as they're somehow worse than you were. You were just like that. Or worse, amen. Thank God that he reaches out to the estranged. Somebody say amen. So that's the first thing I believe that he does when we talk about our God and what he desires and who he's looking for. He says in the Gospels, in the, in the red letters of one of your Gospels, he says, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. You think I'm looking for good church folk? I'm looking for sick people. I'm looking for jacked up people. I'm looking for people that sin and lie and they're dirty and they're lustful. I'm looking for prostitutes. That's who I came to help. If they'll acknowledge their sin and cry out to me for help, I'll forgive them. That's it. 
Thank God that that's who he is. Because if he was like us, there'd be like three people in heaven. We wouldn't even let our own mama in, in heaven. <laughs> like, nah, girl, you, hey, hey. You know what you did. You know what you did. Nobody saw it. I was only seven, but you know what you did. <laughs> Thank God he reaches out to those who are estranged. Amen. <clears throat> the second thing is we have the God who reaches out to those who step out in faith. Our God is the God who reaches out to those who step out in faith. Many of us have not been feeling that loving and reaching and encouraging hand of God. You know why? Because the last time that he reached out to us is when we were estranged. And he hasn't reached out again because you haven't stepped out. See, if he reaches out when you're estranged and he grabs you and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, I forgive you of your sins, who is here that condemns you, right? He caught her in adultery, he said, who else is here to condemn you? She said, nobody. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He reached out to those who are estranged, but then if we don't begin to grow in God and step out in faith, he won't reach out anymore because you're not going anywhere. If you just stay in that salvation, which is okay, some people are going to do that. They're not going to go anywhere with God. They're not going to grow in God. They're just going to be saved. There will be no light. There'll be no salt. There'll be no impact in their lives or in the lives of others. But if you're willing to step out in faith, he'll reach out and help you. The way I like to look at it is with Jesus in the, in the tomb, he rose on the third day and then he went out. With Lazarus, we'll see the story in our Bible study. Jesus said to him, Lazarus, come forth. He rose from the dead. Jesus told his friends, go in there and take his grave cloths off of him. But imagine if Lazarus rose from the dead, right? He had a new birth, new birth. He was born again, saved by Jesus. And then imagine if he just stayed in the tomb. He's still alive, and Jesus still did a miracle in his life. But what good is that? He doesn't affect anybody or anything in this world. If you want God to continue to reach out to you, you need to step out in faith. You have to do something. You have to grow. This is the story, or excuse me, before I go there, Hebrews 4.2 says, Indeed, the gospel that was preached to us, it was preached to them as well. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What that means is you can come to church, hear the same message that everybody hears, and some people, they will mix it with faith and step out on that word, and you'll see change, transformation, and impact other people will just receive the word and not mix it with faith and do anything with it, and it will have no effect, not only in their own life, but in the lives of others. That's Hebrews 4, 2. It says you have to mix it with faith and actually step out and apply these things. <clears throat> I'm going to read Daniel chapter 3 to you guys, and I want to kind of look at this as if you can, as I'm reading it, I want you to picture the story. Don't just listen to it as words, but picture the story and think about a God who reaches out to those who are stepping out. And ask yourself if that's who you are, if that's who you want to be, if that's what you're trying to be, one who steps out. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose weight was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Like I said earlier, he's setting up a false god. Imagine a king 
but not just any king. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the most powerful king on the planet at the time, right? <clears throat> Verse 4, then the herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, he's telling everybody, O peoples, nations, languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I got to say this real quick before I go on. That's verse 5. I was talking to Pastor Nicholas, who was here with us from London a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about worship. And two things that we prayed about. Number one is... Um, the idea that, that worship is one of those ministries that we have to be very careful with. Satan was the, the head worshiper in heaven. So there's this potential as a worshiper who has a gift who wants to honor God to sidestep God and want to be honored yourself. That's why Satan actually fell because of pride. So there's not only that side of it, but also just think about Satan. Who would he like to attack? Imagine having the highest position in heaven as the worshiper, the lead worshiper of God, falling from heaven and then watching other people worship in your position. And you wonder why worship leaders fall. And you wonder why worship leaders and team members are challenged with um, all types of challenges. <laughs> so isn't it funny that King Nebuchadnezzar, he sets up a gold um, uh, idol, and how does he uh, release that to the people? Through worship. He gets all the musicians, all the people there, has a worship service and says, this is what you guys are going to do. I thought our worship was amazing today. I thought it was powerful. I felt God, and I'm thankful for our worship team. Amen. But we need to be praying for them the same way they usher the spirit in for us, and they practice and they prepare. We need to be praying for them that God would protect them. Amen. Amen. So verse 6, it says, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, you live forever. You, O king, they spoke, or excuse me, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, they shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the commandment to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, then good. But if you do not worship... You shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, 
Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, say if not. not. Say if not. not. Listen to this. (laughs) When we talk about stepping out in faith, they say, look, we didn't do it before you talked to us, and now that you're here and you're the king or you're the president, you're whoever you are, don't think that we're going to do it now. Our God will, not only can he, but he will deliver us. And then I love this part. But if not, that's called faith. Even if he doesn't, verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. This is stepping out in faith. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care about your position. I belong to Jesus. And what Jesus says, that's what I'll do. I can serve here. I can work for you. I can honor you as a man in authority. But what I cannot do is worship you or worship your God. And if you try to force me to do that, I'm going to stand with Jesus. And if you try to hurt me, he's going to deliver me. And if he doesn't deliver me, I still won't worship you. We clap, but do we do that? Or do we sit back saying, God, why haven't you reached out? God, why haven't you helped me? God, why haven't you done something in my life? What God says is, I'll reach out when you step out. If you sit back, I'll sit back. I'm here. I love you. When your pastor won't let you quit on financial peace, (laughs) step out. And then I'll reach out. Goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. What does seven stand for in the Bible? Completion. It's as hot as it could possibly get. You can't make it any hotter. You can't add any more coals. It's as hot as man is physically capable of making it. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. I want to burn them so bad, right? And he commanded in verse 20... He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It killed the people that were throwing them into the furnace. You know when the Bible says vengeance is mine and God says don't be the one that that expresses or tries to deal out judgment, he says I'll take care of it. You know when people bind you or they restrict you or they aggravate you, they hurt you, they hate on you? Does that happen to anybody? Somebody say amen. God says even the people that are actually doing that to you, I'll burn them up if I need to. We need to pray for them that they get saved. (laughs) But don't, don't deal with God's part. Let him do his part. Verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. They saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made as an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes you got to read the whole chapter. Some of you are thinking, man, that's, that's the most Bible I've read in a long time. <laughs> they stepped out in faith, and God reached out to help them. If you step out in faith, you have a God that will reach out to help you. It doesn't mean that every time you're going to be about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, but what it does mean is that there is an element of faith that is required in order for God to move in your life. If you could do it on your own, why do you need God? We have to step out in faith and trust that he'll reach out. Step out into ministry and see if God won't empower you and help you to be successful. Step out for your marriage and see if God won't come and hold things together. Step out for your children and see if God won't redirect their lives and have the promises of the scripture that say, raise a child up in the way that they should go and when they're old, they won't depart. I, I challenge you to step out in faith. We think about it all the time with our family. This morning, because, partly because I was sick, but I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. At 5.45, I hear Nate and Niall wake up. At 6 o'clock, they're in the shower, and I'm thinking to myself, our life is crazy. My kids have a lot of challenges. They got to get up. They got to go. They got to go to family members' houses. They got to be at church at literally 8 o'clock. Church doesn't start till 10, but our three are here early all the time. And I began to think about all those things, <clears throat> but you know what I feel? I don't feel like it's some kind of a burden on us. I trust God. I'll step out in faith, God. You help them to know you. You help them to serve you. You help them that when they're 18, when they're 15, and they go into high school and they're going through all the things that every other 15-year-old goes through, help them, Jesus. I'll step out in faith. I'm not going to hold back and say, you know what, I can do a better job of taking care of my kids if I don't do what you've called me to do in ministry. No, I'll just step out in faith and trust that you'll do your part. I trust that you'll reach out for my kids. You got to step out. Many of us say that we don't read the Bible because we can't understand it. There's like 47 versions. You can get a version that's like as easy to understand as possible. Step out and see if God won't meet you. Step out in prayer. Really pray. <clears throat> really seek God. When the Bible says that he hears our prayers and that he is swift to actually respond to us, it requires faith to continue. All right? So number two was... We serve the God who will reach out when we step out in faith. Number one was that we serve the God who reaches out to those who are estranged. And the last one this morning, number three, 
God reaches out to those he can use to bring revelation to others. <clears throat> right? So look at this progression. If you're far from God and you're estranged and you don't know him, right, he'll reach out to you and he'll make a way for you to come into relationship. If you do know him and you're in the church, but maybe you're not growing like you know that you should, if you step out in faith, he'll reach out and help you. And then I would say that there's a whole nother level where God will say this. If he can use you to bring revelation and help to others, he'll reach out to you. I think that in our lives, there's, there's that same kind of progression. I think in salvation, there's that progression where, number one, you're just so happy to get saved because you didn't realize that you could be forgiven for all those things, and you just, you're just excited. I remember that's how it was for me. <clears throat> I made a lot of mistakes that first, that first week. I thought everybody else was excited as I was. I thought everybody else was as ready for me to get saved as I was. I started calling my family and friends. I got saved, and Jesus is real, and everything's going to be different. They're like, you're crazy. I don't even want to talk to you. I had like this trunk full of like stuff from high school all the way through college of just dirt and filth and paraphernalia and narcotics. And I remember calling Mary over to the house uh, literally the day after I got saved. And I, and I opened it up and I was like, this is it. This is everything I've been carrying around with me for a decade. I want you to see it before it disappears because I don't want to hide anything from you. I know that you're going to be my wife. I know that we're going to have a future. Here it is. And then I spent like the next five years trying to help her recover from that. <clears throat> that was a mistake. God didn't tell me to do that. <laughs> but I did it. And then I literally got a trash can outside, one of the metal ones. I put it all in there, put lighter fluid on it, and I lit it up on fire, and we watched it all burn. Right? And it seemed crazy at the time. But three years later, I was a pastor. If you step out in faith, he'll reach out in faith. Amen? So... So I think that that's a progression. First, you're just so happy to be saved. Then you decide, you know what? Now that I'm saved, I want to grow. Many of us have to get to that place, right? I want to grow, so I'm going to step out in faith. And then I think that next place is when you say, you know what? Maybe God might use me to help other people. Maybe it's not all about me and how saved I can be and how happy I can be and how restored and stable that God can make me. Maybe I can actually be used to help others. And I believe that God will reach out to those that will allow themselves to be used to bring revelation and light and hope and help to other people. So last scripture I'm going to share with you guys is out of Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. <clears throat> this is John, who, uh, <clears throat> not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. And it's funny, you can see that he's gone through that progression where he was saved, then he, was, he became a disciple and he walked with Jesus, and then now you see him here in the era of Revelation. He actually wrote the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Stop there real quick. What John is saying is, I've been exiled to an island, and why am I there? Because I stood on the word of God, and I stood on the testimony of Jesus. And because people couldn't handle it, and they didn't want to kill me, they sent me, they exiled me to an island for prisoners and castaways. It's funny, it sounds a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? When you stand on the word of God and the testimony of what Christ has done in your life, you may find yourself in some pretty tough situations. Good thing Jesus said 
that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer tribulation. He didn't say those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will go to a church, be happy, be peaceful, never have any drama, never have any problems, never suffer tragedy, always have enough money, and your marriage will be perfect and your kids will be angels. You could probably find a Bible that says that. Don't buy that one. Don't go to that church. It's a lie. He does love you. He will protect you. There will be many blessings. But what he actually says is that you're going to suffer tribulation. He says if you're going to be a Christian, what it means is you're going to be like Christ, and I suffered tribulation. Right? So that's what happened to John, and he's exiled to this island. Many of you may feel like you're exiled right now in your finances, exiled in your relationship, exiled in your work, whatever it might be. But maybe God is saying, you're right where I need you to be, that I can reach out to you. So verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in, which are in Asia. What does seven represent in the Bible? So God is speaking to John. John's in the spirit. John's praying. He hears the voice of God. God says, I'm about to show you something. I want you to write it to the complete church. Not just the seven names that we all read and we hear here, but it means every church in every age completely speak these words to them. Then he names them to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You got fire, you got lampstands, you've got three men in there, but the Son of Man there as well. You've got seven lights of the Spirit of the Church of God, and then you've got the Son of Man standing in the midst. It's Christ's church, it's his bride, right? Then it says this in verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man. He was clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. Right? Out of his mouth, the word of God, the Bible says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, right, right to our hearts. Verse 17, this is a vision of Christ he's having. Verse 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So listen, <clears throat> John's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by what he just saw. He's overwhelmed by what he heard. He's overwhelmed with the revelation. It says that he's so overwhelmed that he just falls at Jesus' feet as if he's dead. I can't go any further. I can't do anything else. Just take me, God. I wasn't even ready for this. I was about to start moping about being exiled. I was about to start telling you what you haven't done for me and how do I find myself in this position after all these years of serving you. But because on the Lord's day, like you're here on the Lord's day, and because I was in the spirit instead of the flesh, you've revealed yourself to me in such an amazing way. And what does it say? 
it says that Jesus literally reached out with his right hand and touched him. He said, don't be afraid, man. Don't be discouraged. You're in the right place. You're not far from me. I'm still here. You're right where I want you to be. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. And then what did he say to him? Just write down what you see. Why? Because I want you to give revelation to others. Imagine, this was over 2,000 years ago, and this is not a fable. This is not a story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went into a real fiery furnace. John was really on an island and was able to get revelation from God about heaven over 2,000 years ago. And what did Jesus tell him? Write it down. Why? Because I want to use you to give revelation to others. He knew that in 2016, you'd be sitting here today. And he could use John to give revelation to us. So here's the thing. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means is if he really can use you to give revelation to others, to give light to others, to find your other coworkers who are in a more hopeless situation than you are, to find your other family members who are in a more hopeless situation than you are, if he can use you to give revelation unto them, I guarantee you he'll reach out and touch you. He'll reach out and speak to you. He'll reach out and show you things that others wish that they could see. But he knows who he can use and who he can't. Right? Remember the progression. Those who are estranged, those who will step out in faith, and then those who will be used to give revelation to others. Our God is in no hurry. He's the same. That's all he does all the time. He doesn't rest. That's what he wants for you today. You just need to figure out what stage you're at. But that's his desire for your life. I want to worship real quick and pray this morning. So why don't you guys stand with me? Worship team, if you could come quickly. <clears throat> so this morning, as I'm sick and I remember how much I need God, he told me to remind you that that's our state all the time. We're always sick. <laughs> we're always sick spiritually. We're always in need. If we're still in this world... And he's a great physician. He's here to help. So what I want to do, I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to pray, open the altars, and I'll release you. If you want to stay and pray, if you want to come and respond. I said this morning as we opened that my prayer would be that God would speak to everybody individually, right? And that we would respond. For some of you, I believe this morning that it's critical. It may not feel that way. It may not look that way, but it's the same thing as a little boy about to run into the street and be hit by a car, it's critical that the horn honks now. It's critical that the second you hear the voice of God, you honk that horn and you look and you go and you grab that child. If you're here this morning, you can bow your heads, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open. It's not going to change anything. All that matters is if God is speaking to you. If God is knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, look, you are estranged. You are. We're not close you don't hear from me. You don't come home every night. We're not intimate. You're estranged. He wants you to come home. The horn is honking. You can keep going to death and destruction or you can just stop. The sinner on the cross to me is one of the greatest examples of salvation because it reminds us when I want you to stop doing what you're doing, when I want you to start reading the Bible, when I want you to start going to church every Sunday, what Jesus says is all I want you to do is acknowledge me as Lord and ask me to save you. That man on the cross, 
He doesn't have to go through what I go through. He doesn't have to go through what you're going to have to go through. I've been serving God for 12 years. I plan to live to at least like 80 or 90. That's a lot of years of serving God. This dude gave his life to Jesus, and then a few seconds later, he died and went to heaven. <laughs> but God wanted to remind me the same, the same scripture where Jesus is telling parables. He says, I hired some people. They worked all day, and they basically got one dollar. I hired the last guy. He worked one hour and he got one dollar. It's the same story. What he's saying is, I don't care how long you have to live. I don't care how long you have to work, how long you have to serve. If you acknowledge me as Lord and Savior, you ask for forgiveness of your sins, I'm faithful to save you. This morning, if that's you, in a minute I'm going to open the altars. I'll ask you to come so that we can talk and pray a little bit together. But you got to tell me. It's between you and God, but... Read his word. There's a reason why he has churches and pastors and worship and prayer time. He says if you're hurting, if there's sickness, if there's sin, call the elders. Let them pray with you. So if you're estranged and you know God is calling you, just come and let us pray together. Second group, those of you who know the Lord already, but you've been failing to step out in faith, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, between you and the Lord. Maybe today was a step of faith for you to just even come out I want to pray with you that God would encourage you to become somebody who always steps out in faith. That it's not a once in a while thing, it's just who you become, a faithful man or woman of God. So the altars will be open for you. If you know you need encouragement, you need prayer in the area of stepping out in faith, we'll pray together. And then the last group, the time has come to get the focus off of you and put the focus on others. That maybe God would, would speak to you and show you things that you could share with others. We'll pray together. So the altars are open. We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your time today. I thank you that you would speak to us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you for your word, Lord God. Right now, I pray that those who would respond to you, God, that you would reach out. You're faithful, God. You love us. You will not leave us hanging. You will not let us burn in the fire, God. You will not hide yourself from us. You want to reveal yourself from, to us, God. So as we pray, Lord, we release the service. We go back into your hands, Lord, into our workplaces, into our families, to the busyness of the season, Lord. But we want to stay close with you and intimate with you, Lord. Would you meet those that respond this morning and their hearts are at this altar? Would you meet us, God, and reach out to us? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.